0: Hi, welcome to Chicana Code Switchers.
1: Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia.
0: We are both Chicanas in our master's program, who are also scholar practitioners in student affairs.
1: This podcast is intended to provide insights into higher education, with a focus on social justice and pláticas of student experiences. With that being said, let's start the show. Hi everyone, we want to start our episode by uh, giving a Patreon shout-out to our new Patreon contributors. Um, They are two very special people in my life. Um, Their names are Jaime um, B and Mariana GM, so uh, both of them have been big supporters of this podcast from the start, Um, and we just wanted to give a big thank you, and um, let's start this new episode. So hi, everyone. My name is Patricia, um, and I am your co-host. And Ariana here. Hello. So, Ariana, how has this week been? What are some new updates that you have? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a busy last two weeks,
0: um, just gearing up for the student of color orientation that we have at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, We did two recordings of the student of color experiences at Harvard and the first generation experiences of former students who just finished their master's program and um, were sharing words of advice, things to look out for. Um, And these videos, we're planning to use them at the upcoming student of color orientation as a way to start a conversation to inform the new cohort of students about what's upcoming because i know there's a lot of anxiety a lot of uh, questions unknowns and so um we're hoping that these videos address that can prep them for that so that they can have a a fruitful year uh, academic year i've also been making time to explore boston so um taking advantage of everything that's free uh, free events. Um, so I've been on a few cruises, exploring the local lighthouses, and um, just checking out the area from now that I have some downtime. And um, as well as I, I just started uh, gearing up for uh, studying for the GRE prep. So one of my colleagues actually taught the GRE uh, at some point, And so he offered to teach me the the strategies of how to take this test so I can uh, have a, bi- a higher score for this time around of PhD applications. So I'm excited.
1: <laughs> a lot of things going on. But what about you, Bati? Um, I have been transitioning back to Fresno. So last week um, I came right when I moved in back again and then started the next day um, continuing my graduate assistantship. At the Dream Success Center, working with um, undocumented students, and so um, thinking about this academic year, I decided to invest in this new workspace that I have in my desk. So I bought a new monitor, I got an HDMI cord, an ergonomic mouse, an ergonomic, you know, Bluetooth keyboard because my wrist from last semester has been hurting. So definitely, just like be, uh, taking care of not only my like bodily health. And physical health um, but also looking at like what is the best you know environment where I can write this thesis. Um, this summer um, I've had to write my lit review and like writing reading and putting the methods down so I wanted to you know set myself up for success and I thought like I do this already as a as an advisor have two screens so I'm like this is how I work best so definitely, um, I put that. And I would needed a stand, um, but then I'm like, I am not going to get a stand when I have $1,000 worth of textbooks here that I can title up. <laughs> <a web." laughs> so it's my $1,000 stand here, uh, repurposing these textbooks, you know, and put some ones that I like are motivating. So I just put the titles in there. Um, and also, um, because of my advising training that I had last week, Um, Just been in the process of refreshing and getting updated on these like all new policies uh, for students, especially as they come into this year and just learned a lot about like different policies and just how the trend right now is the increase of GPA, you know, admissions requirement. Um, They're moving up. And so just looking at how would this impact students in general, Um, especially as in the Central Valley, there's only two um, higher ed institutions. So if the criteria is going higher, there's less students um, Mm -hmm. with the ability to go straight to a four year or to transfer. Um, So just thinking about that as like, you know, I'm writing my thesis um, and thinking about, you know, topics and, and critically thinking about all these things that are going to impact our undocumented students, um, both in the undergrad process and the transferring and thinking about grad school, right? Um, so one of the things that I learned as the, you know, in an advisor, I'm like, oh, wow, like there's another thing that I didn't know. Um, so I'm in the process of petitioning as a grade substitution for a class at, the, at a community college I took mm-hmm. in high school. And, um, I had talked to, um, cause I went to Napa Valley college and, uh, I asked one of the counselors, I'm like, Hey, can I zoom in? Cause they had all these walk-ins and I'm like, I can't do that. So I'm going to email them and see if they can adjust and like accommodate to, you know, my situation so I can see someone. Because, um, during this, uh, advising training, they were explaining some of the counselors were saying that. If you get a course, if you take a course at a four-year institution um, that you pass and you didn't pass at the community college, you can talk to the community college, send them your transcript or talk to an advisor to change or substitute that grade, right? Um, And so when I talked to Napa Valley College, um, they told me that they can't substitute my grade, but they can write a note on my transcript that I had taken it at Sonoma State and that I did pass it. Um, but it won't change my GPA. So mm-hmm. it just comes to show that different community colleges and their policies are different. Um, a lot of this is like time consuming and paying money just to get things look better, erase your grades, you know, like all these things that happen that if I was an advisor, I wouldn't know now. Um, so one of those like other barriers were, so now that I'm applying to grad school, like I want to improve that GPA. And so I was like, if I already took it at Sonoma, and this is like dragging my grade down because I got an F when I was in high school and I didn't know the whole withdrawal process. A lot of things that first gen um, students don't know. But um, if that's you and your situation, that may be a possibility for you to do, um, especially if you want to, you know, have that change within your grades because it, it, it does make a difference, especially if you failed it and you retook it. Um and I also learned that I wasn't a double major; I was a dual degree holder. So that was another, you know, learning opportunity because I got a BA and a BS. So mm-hmm. that's dual degree. A double major is within the same degree. Um, so if you were getting a BA and a BA, that's a double major, or a BS or a BS, vice versa, right? So something new you learn every day. And then overall, um, just you know, working to not overcommit myself this semester, um, making sure that I, from the get-go, I already have my responsibilities, and I continue, to like, no, I can't, you know, participate in this project or, you know, really set my boundaries up so I'm not overwhelmed and overcommitted um, and overly involved next year, and so my energy is going towards helping undergrads learn how to do all these things so more people can be asked to, hey, if you know how to do event planning, I'm like, I can do it, but I can refer you to the student who is like excellent and great. Because I feel like in a lot of our circles where if we're overly involved and we know a lot of these things, then we get asked a lot to do these things. And I just wanna increase this platform for others and especially new generations coming in of students. I'm like, hey, like if I can help you all with learning how to set these things up, then um, not only less work for me, but more great projects can come out of that um, from different people. And it's not the same, you know, three um, students being asked. And, and then lastly, um, I had to deal with white nonsense this past week. So I had a high school counselor email us um, and say that she took this student out of a truck, the nursing truck in high school. She's a, a high school counselor took her out of the track because she's undocumented and doesn't have a social security number. And Mm -hmm. I was like sitting there like, oh my goodness. Like it's 2019, August, 2019. And we're still dealing with counselors, not only tracking students, but also leaving them all devastated, misinformed, you know, all these things. and, And thinking about how that track, especially that nursing track, could be such a big benefit for the student. And it doesn't always mean that each student is going to go into nursing, but that exposure to all those classes, all that information to go to school um, could be so beneficial, especially if she switches to a different medical field or within STEM. Um, And so it was just annoying um, and just overly anger uh, of this like willful ignorance. Of what this student is doing. And then this white person coming into us. And and telling us like. Oh now like that I feel guilty. Let me send you all an email. You know and fix my mess. You know and we're not. We don't we're not the outreach office either. Um, But we definitely get uh, emails with that. Where you know people. Just misguide a lot of undocumented students. Especially in the community college stage. And especially in the high school phase of the things that they can and can't do. And the way that we frame it in the center is, is not that they can and can't do, we just let them know here's the policy, here's the current state, but here's some leeways of where you can make it work. Um, and never letting the student know that they that they can and can't. We don't tell them what they can and can't do. We let the student decide for themselves if this is something that they wanna get involved with an informed decision. You know, we let them know all the all the possibilities, and the ways that we can help. You know, advocate for the student to continue on with their with their um, career aspirations, right? Um, and it's and it's unfortunate because a lot of the incoming freshmen don't have DACA, so a lot of this again, advisors, teachers people are misinforming these students of their possibilities. And so many things can change by the time that the student may graduate, right? And letting them know that that's why, you know, we're pushing them to go to grad school to also buy some more time. You know, that's another opportunity for them to have other, you know, opportunities. And by then, who knows what, you know, legislation will be, right? So a lot of things change and a lot of people are just coming in and so early on, pushing them for one thing or another or taking them or tracking them into these like, you know, features uh, where the student definitely does not want to even do, right? And and it's unfortunate because when I was talking to my supervisor, I'm like, is this counselor doing to every single student, you know, like telling them, oh, you can and can't do that, you know, because in that case, you know, are you, why are you targeting this one student for just this one, you know? identity and 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 status that they have right and so yeah that is that's been my week (laughs) wow (laughs) that's a
0: lot um i want to say that i was a lucky a lucky high school student and in college as well as in community college i had a good counselor and unfortunately i was guided properly and and that's the thing that was one of my worries and one of the things that my uncle made sure that I was connected with the right people who would ensure
1: my success
0: and trust comes in trust was the main factor in in my journey so yeah in that early
1: intervention of like why do counselors at this rate I'm like isn't your job to help you know guide the student and so you're not even doing your most basic you know mission of what you're what your, your career in your field is
0: supposed to do. Uh-huh. I met a lot of those in high school, <laughs> at the high school level, all the time. And it was yeah. very frustrating. I don't think it's necessarily maybe that it, she's this person was targeting this undocumented individual. I think it's just main, mainly that they don't have the tools or the information and they haven't sought those, that information for themselves. Like, yeah. you know, until after the fact.
1: Yeah, I told my supervisors, I'm like, let them know about our undocu ally trainings. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, wow. Clearly, there's a lot to unpack there, and -hmm. there's a lot more to um, also for us to intervene. But again, at the office now, it's just me as a grad assistant, so it's a lot of work, and you know, over 700 students, and Mm -hmm. it's just. You know my supervisor who's full time, me who's part time, and that's a, and then the peer mentors, which is just the first year, first time freshman thing, but it's not enough, you know, it's not enough for uh, the amount of work that needs to be done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, they're lucky to have you, um, <laughs> and that's how it happens in higher ed. Okay, well, uh, we're gonna get. Um, I'm excited to introduce our next um, speaker, guest, wonderful educator, um, Dr. Leti Ramirez, who I met at a conference. I think I mentioned it here. Um, back in May, I went to a conference in Puerto Rico. And I, the funny story about, it is, about this is that I went to one conference and ended up crashing another conference called Haku. And that's, I believe it stands for Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities. And um, that's where uh, one of my, one of my friends was attending that conference and I joined him and he introduced me to his wonderful supervisor who turns out to be Letty. <laughs> Uh, and that's how we met, and here we are. It's August, and we are so lucky to have her as one of our guests on Chicana Code Switchers. So I'm going to introduce her and then have her say hello, and, and, and we'll take it from there. Um, Dr. Leti Ramirez was born in El Paso, Texas, grew up and went to school in the border city of Ciudad Juarez in Chihuahua, uh, Mexico, uh, from K through 6, and then continued her education in El Paso, Texas in the U.S. Uh, She enrolled at UTEP, University of Texas at El Paso, to obtain a degree in business administration, but teaching culture and ended up as an elementary school teacher. While working for 13 years as a teacher, she continued to study and received her master's degree at the University of North Texas in Denton and her doctorate from the University of Texas at Austin. Um, She has spent the last 25 years at California State University East Bay in Hayward, California, where she has been responsible for bilingual programs in California and Mexico, and she has edited four books and is waiting for the publication of her fifth book called You're Not Alone, Recipes to Obtain Success by Students for Students, and she hopes every child gets a quality education and feels proud of their culture. So, uh, Dr. Letty uh, both uh, signed and sent us a copy of her book, and I like I was sharing with you earlier. I really was impressed by the um, the t- everything that was written in here was super useful, um, and I was taking notes for myself and like nice reminders so that um, as I continue my education for myself, it's a it's a great. Um, motivator. It's a great um, guide, uh, especially for parents who may not be familiar with the educational system in higher ed. Yeah. But what about what about you, Patti?
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Leti for you know sending this copy of the Recipes for Success by Parents for Parents. Um, it was interesting because um, last week I went to um, Costco do a Costco run, and I was like, oh, I want you know to get a coloring book. And then in the section in there, um, Costco has, like, all these different books, and then they're all geared towards, like, different levels, so, like, pre-K, kindergarten, and they're just, like, little workbooks for students who just learn how to do science, math, you know, all these things. And then when I opened this book, I got it. It was interesting because it really laid down, like, how do you involve your student into, you know, thinking about STEM nutrition, learning about the educational, you know, public education system in the U S like it lays so much down that um, when I was like going to Costco, I was with my boyfriend and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is something I wish like more parents knew about. And most importantly, now we're seeing it as adults that this is like extremely some of the gaps that we get with our own students and our own parents, where there's that information gap um, in there and that, I mean, it really lays down a lot of things, even things that I didn't think about, you know, like how do you, it it describes it so nicely to really lay the the foundation. And it is kind of like a recipe book, you know, like where, you know, like step one, step two, step three, and and it has little graphs and everything because I'm a visual person. So that really is amazing. And I looked up and I asked Ariana, is there a Spanish version so I can send some copies to my mom and her friends <laughs> to get them involved and have these different platicas? Um, because recently I've been also talking to my mom about just like reflecting back and especially how like I was parented, what are some of the things like I wish, you know, I we had and we understood also in our communities about, you know, not only nonviolent parenting, but it's also how to help them be more active to understand what the system in the U.S. is, especially the educational system from P through twenty, right? Thank
2: you, thank you, ladies, for inviting me. Uh, that's I'm very happy to hear because that's what we wanted to do with these books. Uh, these books were where was the idea of parents was the idea that questions that they had that they wanted answered and it's after many workshops that we had with the parents that they said we wish other parents would get this information and uh, so then we decided to set up and do conferences and do um, and do an article and then they said um, you know uh, what else can we do I said well you can write a book and then they said okay let's go for it and I'm going like oh my god What did I, what am I going to do? And after several years, we did the Spanish version first because um, they were Spanish-speaking parents. So we did No Esta Solo first in Spanish. And then after that, then we did the English version. So the English version has two more chapters in English than the Spanish because uh, a student identified that we needed to cover uh, parents with sign, langu- for, with sign language, with students, with deaf students for, uh, to teach them about sign language. So, um, so that's what, that's how these books came about. Wow.
0: Um, I appreciate that um, as Patricia was sharing that it's in Spanish and that um, I like the title about like, No Estas Solo, and I think it, it translates differently in Spanish. Uh, no solo recetas para obtener éxito de padres para padres, um, and that it's, it can be found under um, velasquezpress.com. Um, but I guess just taking it a back, uh, taking a step back, uh, Dr. Letty, did you always know that you wanted to be a teacher? Um, I know you mentioned that you were pursuing a different field, but like, how did, where did that change come from?
2: What was that calling well, I guess uh, it runs kind of in my family. My mother was never a certified teacher, but she uh, started teaching when there was a one one room school in Mexico. so uh, she uh, she she taught for over thirty years, but uh, Uh, I thought I would never be a teacher after seeing her with all her great papers and how to help kids and how worried she was about her kids. Mm -hmm. I thought there's no way I just like there's no way I would ever do that. Uh, And I enrolled in business. And um, after taking the business classes, the accounting, the bookkeeping, it was just not for me. I thought, I know I have money in the bank. I'm not just not going to stay. And do all these little. Um, it was. It was just. I love math, but it was just not for me. So uh, some of my friends were in teaching, and uh, and I. They were having so much fun. So I joined them, and uh, that's how I ended up in teaching. And then I continued teaching while I went to my master's, and when I went on my doctorate. So that's why it took me a little bit longer. I never went just to school full time. I always. Worked during the day and, or worked, um, went to school during the day and worked at night. So either or, I was, I always had that.
0: How you identified the process that you went through organizing the book. Um, I know that there's sections of it um, about the the health of the child, you know, like the nutrition aspect of the, of the, um, growing up Um, there's also discipline Um, and I especially like the uh, the chapter about fostering reading at home Um, because it talks about uh, how reading is very important for the intellectual development of our children but it really goes deep into how um, it affects the brain its structure it it explains how um, that the important part of the cognitive reserve is that it protects us from chronic sickness that progressively wears down the neurons such as alzheimer's disease and parkinson's disease so like the impact of reading goes beyond just um you know becoming a uh, a fast reader but it's deeper than that so do you know how um what was your thinking around organizing
2: the book um well, I am not a loner. I'm. Uh, I like to work in teams. I like. I'm um, social. I like to be with people. So, um, our first two books were working with teachers. So, uh, as we work with teachers, they identified what they needed, and we have the books on multicultural education. Then these books, as I work with the parents uh, and try to answer their questions, them, too, identified that they wanted, uh, first at the beginning, early childhood, trying to, like you say, about nutrition, to the importance of reading, trying to meet the needs of uh uh, parents who might not have been in the united States gone to school in the United States but to know about the educational system and then uh, then they identified other areas that we didn't have mission nor the knowledge to write about and that's where we gather I invited faculty from other I invited retired uh, faculty from Cal State East Bay. I invited um, alumni, and uh, they each wrote their own areas. And uh, And then once we had all the chapters in, also the parents uh, participated. If... Uh, process in working with the ladies uh and a couple of uh, of gentlemen so in the front that's why we have the names of the i'm the editor but these ladies also uh, contributed it greatly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and so um how was the process also of like getting a book published
2: in uh, similar uh, deep company you choose some companies uh, you have to request and and then you write why do you have this would it sell uh, so that is. Um, some of the process in this case, I have worked with Velazquez Press and California Association for Bilingual Education in the past. So I pitched the idea to them and uh, they loved it. All my books have always been uh, to their nonprofit, they are, uh, I don't benefit them. I donate all the pro- proceedings to scholarships. So these books are are sold and uh, by Gabe and Velasquez Press, and all the proceedings go to scholarships. And it's exciting that next Tuesday I have a meeting with Gabe because we're giving five thousand dollars, and we're wow. talking about how are we going to, how much uh, per scholarship, and uh, how do parents apply and. It's really exciting that the books are selling, and the Spanish book has become an international Latino Book Award. So um, they received uh, more recognition, and uh, and so hopefully more parents will benefit now from its scholarships.
1: Wow, and it's amazing that you decided to work with this um, publishing. Um, company where it's easier to create an ecosystem you know where it's not just you selling the books but there's like it's a reason to just give back because if the people who are buying this book is you know gaining information getting insight and getting tips and then the people with the money that is made later on it goes back into the community and it's like a you know you walk the walk and talk the talk about okay it's not just you know you know, giving them information and selling information. It's about also providing opportunities for people to not be so um, overwhelmed by the cost of college.
2: Right. Um, I think the what goes around comes around. I really believe in that. And uh, so I try to be uh, the best my parents uh, uh, taught me and um, and. I Like I said, I'm social, I love sharing information, receiving information, and this has definitely been a win-win book in that uh, it's selling. Many districts have uh, bought it for their uh, parents, many schools. I go around um, the country doing presentations on the book. We provide free curriculum for um, schools that want to establish reading groups Dr. Olivia Gallardo developed a whole curriculum with it, and it's free. Um, so we, um, we continue to learn from it and, uh, and to share.
1: And what has the feedback um, that you received on the book, like when you go to your book tours or things that people have told you?
2: Well, it's great. It was from the beginning, Dr. Uh, Alma Florada from the University of San Francisco gave us a uh, an introduction that is wonderful. Uh, that she loved the book, and uh, she's a very well known author. And uh, she um, she really uh, that was our our great beginning. Uh, also um, from the University of uh, Cal- uh, the CSU East Bay, our president, Dr. Morishta, also gave us um, a, the forward. And uh, during the tours, during the presentations, during workshops, it's been very, very well received uh, because it's so varied. It's not only covering about school or how to get to the university, but it covers how to get out of debt. And that was uh, based on one story from uh, one of the parents that said, I've been t- I've been paying for my TV for a long time and I still haven't paid it. So how it- why is it that I'm still all money? And uh, so it was one one aha moment that we had to deal not only with the education of uh, reading books, but reading for credit cards, reading for finances. So um, so it has been the book again very well received. Most important or or, or exciting uh, is that we received the International Latino Book Award, mm-hmm. and for that presentation we received it in LA, and we had twenty six out of our thirty authors participating. So it was a wonderful opportunity that everybody got acknowledged for their work. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, like I said, I was really impressed by it. And I guess this leads me to ask you the following question about the your next upcoming book, which
2: is called Students. Um, remind me the title, Dr. Lippy. It's the same beginning, You're Not Alone, Recipes to Obtain Success, but this book is by students for students. Mm -hmm. This book is by undergraduate students. And how this came about was by, uh, after receiving the book award and the undergraduate students learning about it, uh, there came an opportunity to do research And they said, well, can we do research and can we write a book like the parents? Mm -hmm. So I said, let's go for it. Um, You can do research and we can all uh, learn about it and we can all do another book. So students um, uh, interviewed other students, students learned and wrote about uh, their stories. And uh, this, we have over 80 entries and 65 made it into the book. So uh, it was very, very uh, exciting to see the students Uh, and it's also a book by students uh, and um, it has stories that are the student stories. It has students by alumni, it has students by faculty from interviewed by students and uh, it's an, again another community effort, but this is led by students instead of by parents. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And that, um, um, I mean, that's the really, uh, the book that we con- were contributing authors for. And when do you expect it to be released, just so our listeners can be on the lookout? And where could they
2: get a copy of it once it's published? Oh great! Well, um, go to Velasquez Press, and uh, they will be the ones who will be um, distributing. And uh, Velasquez is with both Z's as V E L A Z Q E Q U E Z Press P R E S S dot com, and um, the release should be any time now. I'm waiting for it. I've been. Uh, approving the chapters uh, because after the process of writing a book it's long Uh, there's like what we were taught in high school there's the drafts and drafts and drafts and drafts and I have draft one, draft two then finally we say final and then there's a change and it's final one and (laughs) final two and final final and then after final final we still find another error or somebody an author decided to change, to add another last name to his name. So then now we have a final, final change. So trying to, uh, to do this through the process, it just takes a long, uh, uh, a lot of time. So hopefully by the end of this month, I'm hoping that by the beginning of uh, September, it will be released. And um, we already have some of the... Um, some of the authors that are alumni from the university from CSUs they uh, already have uh, requested we have a couple of uh, debut parties that they want to do debut of the book so oracle is uh, is uh, would like for us to come and debut the book at oracle so we'll see where we go We have had visits to Tesla. We've had visitors to Google, Facebook. So it's exciting to to visit all these uh, places with our undergraduate students to learn about it. Even though we didn't get to drive a Tesla, we at least got to see how it's being built. (laughs) So, uh, So it's exciting. So hopefully we'll let you guys know when it's released, and hopefully it'll be soon.
1: And we'll definitely um, announce that in a podcast and include those links for people to, you know, read this book, um, the By Parents for Parents, and then later on the students um, for students. That way they can include them in their curriculum. I know there's a lot of summer programs uh, where this would be a really great read for, you know, the students and the parents to read together in their own different books and then, you know, cross-reference to see you know, where's the similarities, where are the differences, and have more conversations about, you know, and even for, you know, parents or um, older, you know, individuals who don't necessarily are a parent or are a student anymore, but these are the conversations you can have with your own families where, you know, it would be a great gift to give to Mm -hmm. those around you who are still experiencing either the K through 12 system or um, undergrad. And, later on you know hopefully that you know grad students by grad students ends up happening and we'll see what um what
2: recipes come from that right yes i hey i challenge you guys write (laughs) your stories now so that you can remember well i know you've written these stories but now start identifying what issues um Students need to know about going into graduate programs because I think uh, every step is—you know—we have to race up to the next level, and every step, every uh, level of education has its own unique barriers and uh, and and opportunities. Uh, so we need to. Uh, uh, help each other. And as we are pulling one from inside, uh, from underneath us, from a level below us, we can also reach to the next level. So I see you guys with your PhDs, EDDs. I see you guys soon in a new level. So uh, I'm looking forward to working with you as colleagues.
0: Yeah. Dr. Letty, can you, um, given that you already have your doctorate and you went through the system, What was that experience like for you when you went through it uh, in Texas? And can you just share a little bit more about that experience for our listeners?
2: Well, uh, yes, I am a first gen, even though my mother was a teacher, she never went through uh, the school since she was a teacher in Mexico. So, uh, so um, nobody could help us. My brother, I'm a twin. My brother and I, uh, we're in the, went through the schools, but we didn't know where to apply. We didn't know what to do. I graduated early cause I did all my credits, but still I had not applied to the university till that summer. I was lucky that that at that time you could still apply during the summer and, um, uh, And even if you only got accepted through a conditional base, uh, that's how I made it to the university. I applied, I remember like in May or June and, and I was encouraged. I was, uh, very much supported by my parents to go to school. So, um, so I went, I remember going to a university, not knowing where to go, not knowing what to do. And, uh, I guess my friends and I were in the same boat. We were all lost. Nobody knew what to do. So um, we went one day and we applied and we got accepted. And uh, um, uh, good for us that we had good grades. So we got accepted and um, and started our undergraduate degree. As, and as I said earlier, I was working as a cashier in a, in a restaurant uh, but I started working when I was 14, washing dishes in, uh, in a Mexican restaurant, so I had saved my money and had, uh, uh, had some support, again, from my parents that by the time I came to a university, I, was, I had a job in a, uh, as a cashier, and then I would, um, I would go to school in the morning, and at 3 o'clock, from 3 to 11, I was a cashier. And the next morning, got up and went to school again at 8 o'clock in the morning. So, um, so I did that and became, a, uh, after going through school and my business and, and uh, then moving to education, became a teacher. And uh, as I taught, as I was an elementary school teacher, I realized my students were getting placed in special education. And the only reason why they were being placed is because they didn't speak English because this was students who were in a bilingual program and they were being tested in English for psychological assessments because the teachers didn't speak Spanish, so they were placed in special education. And when I saw that happening in the 70s, I decided to get my master's. So I, I could become a psychologist, a diagnostician, to try to assess students when they were referred to special education that I could test them in Spanish and re- and really know whether they were special in special needs or not because we have over representation of Latinos in special education and underrepresented of Latinos in areas such as uh, speech uh we you know they don't take them because they can't they don't um uh, diagnose them early enough so that's how I got into my master decided to continue my schooling and while at a master's level I had a faculty member that when we were talking about why do we want to obtain our master's um, I said because I want to help kids and she said if you really want to help more kids you got to help teachers you got to go to the next level and teach teachers how to teach students. So that way you go to a higher pyramid and you can really impact more students. So that's how I had to go into to my doctorate so that I could teach teachers to help more students. So um, that's how I ended up here at Cal State East Bay. He used to be Cal State Hayward, changed his name 15 years ago. And... Um, and I've had a, a, a lot of doors that have opened up, and I've been very fortunate to be assistant to the presidents. I'm currently assistant to the provost, and I've been able to write a lot of grants. I've been able to research and participate in books such as these. So I've been very fortunate, and like I said, I believe in the law of attraction. If we try to do good, I think more do good comes to us.
0: Yeah, and in addition to that, you mentor have mentored a lot of students along the way. Um, you know, I think of my friend um, who just graduated with his master's in counseling, you know, and he speaks very highly of you and the impact that you've had. So um, I'm, I'm really happy that you're, that you're in this role and that you're at CSU East Bay making a difference for all the students that, that are there, but also across the country and across the world, because I know that you go to a lot of conferences as well.
1: And also, you know, thank you for all the work that yeah. you end up doing because you end up not only inspiring everyone, but really um, you've taken it to heart to, you know, that it's a reciprocal thing. You know, you, you also receive so much of this um, rewards of just, you know, basic things of like helping other people around, you know, so they don't get into the path that they want eventually go but just don't know how to get
2: there well thank you guys for including me in this uh in your wonderful uh podcast that you're having the wonderful opportunity that you're giving others to learn and uh i really admire you guys uh you're young and you have so much energy and i'm right here right here to support you and just let me know whatever i can do yeah yeah i'm willing to do it for Thank you so much, and that's
0: also yeah that's also why we created this podcast because we also continue to see that need that there's questions there's unknowns and that you know people need to get the information so this is like our version of sharing information for our audiences so that they know how to overcome the challenges that they may face yeah and
1: you know one of those challenges we had a, a listener uh, send us an email and wanted to know um, if you could provide, Letty any of your main tips on the graduate
2: application process. Oh, um, As I said before, I had no idea how I got started into my bachelor's. But uh, once the graduate, uh, I think that once you're starting school, you know that you got to apply. Um, I think for that, the best advice is to tell you, don't give up, give it a shot. Uh, don't do it late, do it as soon as possible. Do it with, um, hopefully by then you have some mentors, uh, some faculty that uh, you work with to give you le- letters of recommendation. Um, ask your your professors. Ask uh you may only need two letters of recommendation. Ask four. That way if you don't get two, at least if you got two out of four, that's great. If you ask six people to give you a letter of recommendation and then save them for later. Um, so uh start early is my best advice. Um and ask others to review it. Don't submit it without having some some backup, even if uh you ask your, the tutoring, there's always the English department that you can go in and have them check over. Even if not, then have your buddies, have your friends, check each other's applications, make sure that you have a checklist, make sure that you covered everything that you needed, that you need to do. Uh, That so that your application is accepted and has everything. Uh, Because sometimes, if it's missing transcripts or missing something, then um, it may not be, it may not qualify. So, you will be out. And then, if you send it as as an attachment or send it later, it may not get connected to yours. Um, There's thousands of those applications being processed. So, please do your best to have as much of the information together and make sure you keep a copy. Uh, Those are just things that come to mind. But I think the most important is meet with your faculty, have faculty know you, Uh, go to their office hours. Even if you know the questions, just go and ask them a question and make sure that, that they get to know you because uh, that's, getting, having them to back you up for the future is going to be the most important part. If you don't have faculty that are going to write a letter of recommendation, um, you know, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. So I think that will be my, um, some tips. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there, Um, I'm just curious because you, uh, I'm curious about what your topic on your
2: dissertation was. Ah. Oh, guys, you don't want to hear my, my sad stories. I had to go through two dissertations. I had to go through two studies. I had to go through two departments. My, my problem, I was doing it in bilingual special education, and my fac, my, the faculty that I was working with were getting divorced. And neither of them was going to accept my my dissertation after I had gone through it and and, and done it. So I was about to drop out when another faculty member uh, that was on my committee, he said, you know what, switch to, uh, to um, my department, general education, and uh, let's do another study. Let's do another quick study survey. And... Uh, and I'll help you because I know that you've already done it and you've already done all your work. So let's find out another topic that you're interested in and let's work on it. So I was interested in site-based decision-making, what the schools were doing, how were they deciding, what information to share, how who was involved in the decision-making process. And I did a survey of uh, different schools in Texas and publish that, and that was the end of it, but uh, it was, I've had, it was a tough, it was a tough, it took me almost 10 years, so hopefully you guys won't take you that long.
0: Yeah, hopefully not, <laughs> but um, thank you so much for sharing that with us, because I know, like we we say, do you know, when we're talking about grad school uh, PhD programs like oh do what you're required to do but things come up and things like what you shared with us you know like that's out of your control that has nothing to do necessarily with you as a student and what you've um, written um, but I guess it would fall under bureaucracy right the bureaucracy that happens in academia and just hearing your story about what you encountered in the 70s and how um, like how those trends still come up now in 2019 like the story that bati shared at the beginning about the undocumented student, like these things that by now we would think you know educators counselors should know better or you know shouldn't be doing are still happening and are affecting our students and are affecting their futures you know for for example like dropping out or you know not finishing their requirements due to for someone else's things.
1: cause yeah and simple things like um just like a lack of update of policies, right? That don't benefit us. Um, like simple things like transfer credits um, or transferring even within your master's degree to your doctorate degree where you don't have to spend so much time uh, you know, doing all those intro level classes. So, and, and things like we talked about in the last episode with um, uh, with Pablo about, you know, his opportunity where that came up where it's just recent new policy that was passed within the system. And so as an advisor now, like there's a lot of things that are out of control and it's due to policies that don't help us, right, right? That that just push us away or push us out of pursuing all these things. So um, some of these things, you know, we've encountered so many no's along the way that once we get into higher ed, it gets worse because not only is it an unknown territory, but it's also uh, policies that impact us even greatly. And so, and other people end up internalizing that rejection, internalizing those Mm -hmm. bad experiences and think that it's their fault, Mm -hmm. while it's actually a very systemic thing that happens and it's different across every campus.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, sad that oftentimes that is still happening I often deal with students at the community college where somebody tells them a professor tells them to take the same class over and over again, and which is criminal. You know, you're wasting your time taking certain classes that you don't need. And uh, when we don't know, uh, you know, and oftentimes we don't, we have we don't know what to go ask. We don't know who to go ask. So this is you guys are doing a wonderful job. So thank you. Thank you. And so
1: um, transitioning into our announcements, um, we have a graduate school application webinar happening. Um, The pre-registration is August 25th. There are instructions on how to register and also sign up and everything. Uh, We will include all those links in the um, episode uh, caption so if anyone is out there wondering okay what is the next steps what are some of those um, questions that we have about the graduate school application process Um, please um, definitely share with your peers your colleagues any undergrads or you know people that are not in school right now they want to come back Um, this is definitely an opportunity to do so Um, We have some exciting news, which is next week I'll finalize. We're thinking about doing a webinar series. So definitely um, be on the lookout of more information. I think uh, people are going to be really excited because this is the part of the application process that is the most intimidating. And I'll have a colleague of mine come in um, to help us host another webinar about that. So, um, And also on our Patreon post. I have included um, in the last, for this month, um, post about um, this random, I included a random resource for travel guide. So if anyone is interested in traveling, there is a a business um, that's a black owned business uh, that gives you uh, tips and tricks, a whole travel guide on different locations around the world and in the US. So please subscribe to our Patreon. account and help us, you know, um, not only do we post things that are helpful articles, scholarship tips, uh, things like that, but we also, um, have the, all the money that we collect from the Patreon helps us make this a sustainable work, um, for us to transition into this new phase of our podcasts where we're trying to make it bigger and do more things.
0: Yes. So, uh, all one of the last things we want to share as well is uh, give a shout out to a POC business. So, as we mentioned at the end of each of our episodes, if you send us your POC business, we'll give you a shout out. So, this is to highlight Brujita Skincare. Uh, Brujita Skincare is a Latina owned brand from Los Angeles, California. Brujita Skincare focuses on making essential skincare with ingredients sourced from mercados throughout Mexico, sourcing from merchants, bringing Brings awareness to other communities about Mercado culture and different regions of Mexico. So, Leah Guerrero is the creator of Brujita Skincare and has over 10 years of experience in holistic skincare as an esthetician. Leah uh, has been making holistic skincare products since 2013 and has since been on a constant journey of creating affordable skincare for all communities. Brujita Skincare was born. In Mexico City, yay! Um, during her month <laughs> month long trips and immersing herself in mercados, she introduced the brand to local LA maker markets in 2017. Brujitas' rapid growth allows her acqui- uh, allowed her to acquire a manufacturing studio in downtown LA, where she makes all of the products and shares a space with her partner Yomaha. Yomakra plays a big part in Yomara. the company. <laughs> sorry. Yomara plays a big part in the company. She designs and creates all multimedia content for the brand. And together they are working towards making Brujita Skincare a timeless brand that can be used by all communities. And you can find more of, you know, you can
1: find this product at brujitaskincare.com. Yes. And um, now we're closing. So for all of our listeners, um, you can all email us at chicana codeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC business conference event shout outs and uh, listener letters. You can also record a listener message on the anchor app and we will include you in future episodes. So follow us on Instagram chicana switchers and Twitter x codeswitchers. Um, if you want to support this podcast, you can Venmo or cash app us at chicana switchers and or become a Patreon contributor. Um, So thank you, Leti, for joining us this episode and sharing just a a variety of wealth and knowledge and uh, for tuning into this week's episode. And so see you all next time. Thank you.